Welcome to Living the Abundant Life with Jenny Schmidt. Together, we're pursuing on this podcast what it looks like to live aware and engaged with the abundant life described in John 10.10. It says that Christ came to give us life and life to the full. Well, abundance is actually defined as overflowing fullness. Christ didn't come for us to live meager lives, just barely getting by. He wants us to thrive, abounding in faith, overflowing in the fruit of the Spirit, having all that we need for life and godliness, as it talks about in 2 Peter 1.3. So lately, I've been inviting guests on the show who are living this out, people who I know personally, and I see the overflow in their lives, people who, through life experience, have gotten a revelation around some aspect of the abundant life. If you missed it last week, check out my pastor Greg Haswell's talk, episode 10. It's all about hearing from God. But today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Tyler Hanel. He's the director of sales with Catalyst, but more importantly, one of my husband's best friends, the godfather of my children, and a teaching pastor at our local church. But Tyler's more than a friend. He's a role model. I love watching him do life with his wife and daughter because they live in a continual state of contentment. They are people with big dreams. They aren't cool with mediocre. It's in the ups and downs of life, through their unknowns and their difficult circumstances, through their pursuit of big dreams, that they live with this abounding contentment and overflowing happiness. It's the real deal, y'all. And so I wanted to have Tyler join us today and let us in on what he calls, and actually Paul writes about in scripture, it's called the recipe for happiness. Hey, Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, good to be here. So glad to have you. So you talked about this recipe for happiness. I love it. It sounds great, but it kind of sounds too good to be true. You know, we're living life trying to figure out when we have enough to achieve this elusive state of contentment. Um, Where did this idea that there's a recipe for actually figuring out how to be happy, where did that come from for you? Yeah, I think, you know, it started with just having a bunch of conversations. You know, I I preached a three-part sermon series message at uh, the church I help lead. Um, Northland. So if you, if you, if I say something and it's very confusing, just go back and listen to the sermon, northlandschurch.com. And you can just go to our watch archive. Um, it's called the recipe for happiness. But the concept for me, even though I preached it a few months back, the concept came from multiple conversations over the, the five years prior to that. Um, I was mid, mid twenties to late twenties. And I kept having conversations with my friends who were either going into their thirties or mid thirties, even some that were in their forties. And they just had these, these statements that were very depressing that were like, you know, I just thought I was going to be farther along by now, or, um, I just thought I was going to have this by this time. I thought I was going to be, you know, a, a dad by this time, or I thought I was going to have, you know, X amount of money or be able to purchase a home by this time. And so it just became this thing of, uh, I never understood the concept of like, I thought I'd be farther along. Like, what does that actually um, mean. And so then, yeah. then I always started inviting, you know, evaluating my life and going like, Oh, am I, am I where I need to be? Should I be farther along? And I think it's something that we, we all ask ourselves as we're looking to the left and our right of people around us and the people we do life with, it's like, Oh, well, they, they're doing this. You know, should we be doing that? Or absolutely. We're looking for like a measuring yeah. stick of like, am I on track? Am I doing okay? I don't, I guess it's a human condition thing that we do that. Like there's, there's an invisible standard that we're, we're trying to, to stand by, but nobody is actually controlling that standard. So we're just trying to, to figure it all out. And so it came from that starting to question the thing of, okay, like, am I satisfied or am I happy with my life? Um, yeah. And so as I asked that question, where my mind immediately went was um, what I would say are the, the uh, immediate or long-term external circumstances of my life. So I go, 
you know, I'm, I'm 27 years old or I'm, I'm 29 years old, you know, now turning 30 this year or turn 30 this year. Uh, should we, should we have owned a home already? Should we, should, how many cars should we be driving? You know, what kind of cars should they be? How many kids should we have already had? And, and, and what began to happen as well is I realized as I achieved certain things, uh, it didn't make me any happier. I always wanted, I always wanted something more. When I got the thing that I was striving for, I just needed something else. And it, and it, and then I found, I found verses in Ecclesiastes and other verses uh, stated from like Solomon, who says things like, I, he says a statement in, in the scriptures that is profound. He goes, uh, and this is like a highlight of his, his kingship. He's, he's the richest king in history. He's, he's incredibly wise. It's a time of peace. There's more silver than they know what to do with. And he says, there was nothing that my eyes looked at that I did not take part in. And then he ends the verse with vanity, vanity. It is a chasing after the wind. And that for me just stuck with me where I go like, I realize now that in my 20s, I long for the things that I hope for. And I say, when I'm in my 30s, I'm going to have those things. But then I realize that I guarantee you, now that I'm in my 30s, I'm going to look towards my 40s and be like, well, this is where I want to be. And we call them five-year plans or 10-year plans. And I just go... I don't think that there's anything wrong with having plans as long as those plans aren't connected to your, your happiness. So I began to ask the question, okay, what in life actually makes you happy? And it can't be the immediate external circumstances like the homes, possessions, uh, you know, cars, those things, because those things can be, you can lose those in a second. Yeah. And if, the, if your happiness is attached to that, when those are gone, so is your happiness. And it can't be, you know, long-term things like the person you want to be in 10 years or the titles you want to hold. And it can't be in the, in the purpose, what you feel called to be like, what is your destiny? Why were you put on this earth? Because even that's a, a, a pure and good thing. But like, I think that's where people get their, you know, their midlife crisis is I go, well, I thought I was going to be farther along by now. Uh, so I go, I think they all have a place in our lives, but if they hold a place of, of uh, superiority over all other things, then our happiness is always going to be waiting. So it, it came, the recipe for happiness came from uh, both a verse in scripture that I found in Philippians 4 and this kind of wandering that I think Solomon spoke to of like, no matter how much you get, you're always going to be left wanting. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's kind of um, discouraging because it's true. I mean, we're all having those conversations and we're, we're measuring ourselves in comparison to one another. We're looking at, you know, who I wanted to be or what my dreams were, you know, what I've achieved and say, you know, am I content? Like, have I hit it? And if that's not the answer, then what is? Well, when I go, you know, again, you look at Solomon and even just, I go like, I obviously want to be a successful person in my life, but I'm, I'm probably 99% sure that I'm never going to be as successful as that guy. Yeah. I mean, he literally <laughs> had in every column of his life, it was maxed out to the whole. So I go, when that guy yeah. goes, oh, this is all vanity. I go, then why am I even running a race of life? You know, the rat race is not worth it at all. Well, so and I mean, if, if we think about an abundant life, like, I mean, Solomon was living yeah. an abundant life, right? I mean, in, in all of the earthly standards, but if those are the things, if all the things that we look at and see with our eyes as abundant in his life are vanity, then what was abundant? What does scripture yeah. tell us? Like, what can we evaluate our lives and determine our happiness based on? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's exactly that. And that's where the, the, the series in my, my mind came from was um, defining that because I go from the outside, everybody would go, oh, that's got to be the abundant life, right? Like everything's maxed out to the whole. So that must right. be abundant. So I think defining abundant life is so, so critical. Um, and that's why, so that's why Philippians four for me was the second kind of piece to the concept where, um, Philippians four, uh, really verse 13 is one that we all know. I guarantee if anybody's listening, they probably at least at one point either had a t-shirt or a coffee mug <laughs> or a sticker. We all know, we all know Philippians four thirteen. It's on athletes 
states, you know, shows that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so when we take a, a variable like uh, God wants me to live an abundant life, that's a true that's a true statement. And the and the scripture, the verse, Philippians 4.13, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we almost take like a guy like Solomon, we go like, well, he was doing all things through Christ who gives him strength. He must, I mean, he, God was on his side clearly because he had all of this stuff. And so we go, well, if God wants me to have the abundant life and I can do anything, then I just need to dream a dream as big and as grand as I can possibly make it. And God's going to come through for me. And I think that's where the phrase, I thought I was going to be farther along by now, is we dream a dream. Uh, even Christians and believers, we dream a dream. And then when it doesn't happen, we, we blame God and go, but God, I thought you said I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it's, it's not happening. And so yeah, what's, and what's it's really critical, happiness. it's disappointment. We leave, we're vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind, right? And so it's always, we have to read Philippians 4 in its context of the verses right before it. And, all, and also the context of Paul, who's writing it, where he is in the moment of him writing the letter you know yeah so can, do you mind if i actually just read the verse Please. like three or four verses so so this is what this is what paul says and, it, and it, it's just striking he's writing to the church in philippi and he says uh, i'm glad in god far happier than you would ever guess happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me not that you ever uh, quit praying and thinking about me. So automatically you're like, why would they be concerned for you, Paul? That helps us figure out where he is. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content. Whatever my circumstances, I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little, I found the recipe for being happy. Mm-hmm. Whether full of hung, uh, full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. And that's in the message translation. I read it from there just because uh, it really just drives in the context more than wow. the other translations of, of exactly what he's writing. And what's so profound about that text is Paul's writing that in prison. So, so he's been, he's been, he's been beaten. He's been tortured. And this is like the, this is just one of many rungs for Paul. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He was bitten by going to preach the gospel and he's bitten by serpents. And I go like, he's literally doing the Lord's work. And even in that he's getting completely um, pushed back. He's mocked, he's ridiculed. And, And so, so when he makes a statement, like I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. And then just before that, um, he says, I actually, don't have a sense of needing anything personally. So when you say something like, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally, you're like, oh, is Paul like Solomon? Does he does he have everything that he could possibly need? Is, is his life maxed out? But you go, he's writing this letter and he and he writes the statement that that verse of uh, uh, in the one who makes me who I am. That's that's the Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, he he says that statement not in saying like I'm going to do, I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to have so much faith that like my, my finances are never going to be in a struggling position or, or I'm always going to have the nice car. No, what, what he's saying is, is the spectrum of having my hands empty and I'm hungry or whether my stomach is full with food and I have shelter and my hands are full with finances, wherever I am in between those two spectrums, I know this to be true. I can do either of those things in the one, because of the one who makes me who I am. And so that for me is like, if we don't understand Philippians 4, we will never understand the, the, uh, or capture being satisfied in this life or finding contentment or finding the, the recipe for happiness or, or what it means to live the abundant life unless we understand Philippians 4. 
That's so good, Tyler, because he's talking about um, an inner state that's not affected by his outer state. And yes. I think I think that's where we get, you know, it's it's chicken or egg. Which one affects the other? We think our outer circumstances affect our inner soul state, right? But but Paul's flipping it on its head and saying, no, no, the, the inner condition of my soul is actually, actually determine his happiness independent of his circumstances. I mean, that's pretty radical. And I, and I think for me, like the conversations that I had with people, it goes, I just thought I was gonna be farther along by now. These were well-accomplished um, young men just in the peaks of their career. And so when they said statements, like I even questioned them, I go like, what are you talking about? You have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, the, the, the perfect home. You had multiple successful careers. I mean, there's just some examples. I'm like, just stunning lives. And yet it, was a, it wasn't about a life circumstance. It was about a soul satisfaction. And I've always, I've always felt this thing. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. He, he says, if I find in my life that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy my hunger, then the only conclusion is that I must have been made for another world. Oh, and we are, so we are, oh, it's C.S. Lewis. I wish I could take her. <laughs> I paraphrase a little bit, but it's that space of going, you know, when people argue, you know, well, I don't believe that there's a God or that there's an eternity or that there's life after this. I go like, have you found soul satisfaction yet? In the sense of you can talk to me all day long about your circumstances being good or bad, but I go, if your soul is restless, then that, that what that is, is your soul is made of eternal substance by an eternal God. And it Come will on. not be satisfied by temporary substances um, of this world. And so that's where I just, when we talk about the recipe for happiness, we can say, we can answer the question, okay, what's the recipe for happiness? But we also have to ask the question like, what have I tried to fill my, my eternal stomach with, my eternal soul, the deep part of who I am? What have I tried to fill it with and has it sustained me? And that's where I came in. I was like, I'm not sustained by the things that I'm trying to, to make it you know, fill. Yeah. So all, yeah, all that to say soul satisfaction, it's, it's not dependent or dictated by circumstances. That's what Paul's saying in Philippians 4. That's so good, Tyler. And, but I mean, I look at your life. I mean, I know this has been um, something that you've been learning, but I'm looking at your life and looking at the, the, the inner state that you are walking in. And I mean, you, you are in contentment and happiness. So how did that shift happen for you? How did you come from a place of discouragement because you're not there or you don't have, um, how did you kind of recalibrate? And because what I see from your life and your family, and I've watched you guys go through some hard times. I've watched you go through ups and downs and, mm. and severe challenges. So like, how did that shift happen for you? Can you just walk us through a little yeah. bit more of your story? Absolutely. So I'll definitely share some of mine. And I would just say, if you're listening to, to just make sure that it can, it can fit into your story. When we, when I say soul satisfaction, just to bring some clarity to that, I go, um, why do you actually want a nicer car? Or why do you actually want more money in your bank account? Um, and not, not that any of those things are bad, but I go there's whatever your thing is. Mine happened to be finances at a young age because that was something that like I always was like, oh, I got to be responsible. I got to make sure that I have enough to, to take care of myself, to move out of my parents' house, to one day take care of a, a wife and kids. And so that that created just a lot of anxiousness for me. And, and I go, the reason we want things is because we don't want to fear or be anxious. So our soul was not wired for fear or anxiety. And so when we feel fear and anxiety in the soul, our natural, we, we want to cringe back. Like it's a pain point. We don't, we're, we're, we weren't, we weren't supposed to have it in our system. It, it, it came in, in Genesis three when sin entered the world. Yep. And so we, we've been continually pushing back against this thing. So what we're trying to do actually to find soul sex, what Solomon was trying to do in filling his life 
was he was trying to get to a point where he was not dependent on anyone but himself to deliver a freedom from fear, anxiety, worry, shame, guilt. And so what we're trying to do in the process is we're going, okay, if I have a nicer car, what that actually means is I, I don't have to drive a clunker that could potentially break down as I'm trying to get to work. And then I'm on the side of the road and I've got a real fear about being on the highway by myself. And so we're, we're, we're making all these plans to try and push back any circumstance that could, that could hurt us or create more fear and anxiety. Um, and so, so when it comes to my life, that was my, that was my thing is I just, I walked around with a lot of fear and anxiety. And so when I, when I was going after the recipe for happiness, I tried to try to go, okay, what am I actually going after in my life? What is it that I'm actually, what are my goals and why am I setting them? It, I, when I, when I was able to get to the root of the issue, I realized like, it's not accomplishments that I want. It's not, it's not more money in the bank. It's nothing with a car. It's not even having beautiful gifts from God, like a wife and a kid. It was that if I have these things and I set myself up. Uh, in a comfortable way, then I won't ever have to want for anything. I won't ever have to feel that anxiety. And I just found like when you, when you build your life on sand, as the scripture says, when those storms come and life storms will come and you can't prepare for them, your car will eventually break down and there's nothing you can do to to just over prepare for that. I don't care who you are. You you know, I've got people who, who lived incredibly healthy lives, incredible diets worked out regularly and they still get cancer. I go, there's nothing that you can do to stop the storms of life, but you can determine what you build your life on. And, And what we're trying to do as human beings, we're trying to build a life that is comfortable so we don't have to deal with any of the, the life's hardships. And I love what uh, a pastor named Levi Lusco out of Montana said when he comes to comfort zones, we build comfort zones telling us that they're going to keep us safe in life. And they don't actually keep us safe. They keep us small. And so, so could, could that you, again. That's so good. <laughs> again, C.S. Lewis and Levi Lusco, look them up. <laughs> Uh, uh, so he just says, he goes, when it comes to comfort zones, the reason we build comfort zones and we want to live in comfort zones is because we tell the, ourselves that comfort zones will keep us safe and they will not keep us safe. They just keep us small. Yeah. So if you think about, you think about it, all we're trying to do is to survive. And what I, what, what I'm talking about when it comes to, and what Jenny's talking about in the abundant, living the abundant life, God wants us to, to have a mentality of thriving in the soul. That doesn't mean our circumstances are always going to look like they're thriving, but I tell you, I'm telling you, no matter what your current circumstances are, you, you want, what you really want is your soul thriving. I, like the, my current life situation, there's some beautiful things happening in my life right now. And there's some things that are just really, really hard. And the wind for me has not been just the testimonies of God breaking through supernaturally and delivering certain things for us uh, to, to help remove those anxieties. But, but what's been great is that my soul has not, has held steady yeah. in days of sunniness and in days of storm, regardless. And I go, that is, that is what the recipe for happiness is. How do you keep your soul in that space of not wavering? Um, and so that, yeah, so that's a long answer, but no, that's good. I mean, I, I love that. And that's, that's what I see in you. Um, so what did that, like, what did that look like for you and your wife? Um, as you guys kind of, you said, you know, finances were a big thing when you were younger and, and how did that transition go for you? Because I've seen y'all make that switch. So can you kind of walk us through a little bit how, and for people who are listening, how do we go from finding and evaluating our happiness based on possessions or person or purpose and start reevaluating the source of our happiness? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, for Nicole and I, um, I would say it's, it's clearly marking your life and, and, and having an understanding of, okay, what is, what is God giving you? That's a gift from the creator. And then what is God? Um, so, so what happens is when it comes to trying to find a recipe for happiness, I, I broke them down into, um, three categories. There could be more categories, but for me, this is what I saw in my own life. And that was, um, I tried to find happiness in possession 
I tried to find happiness in the person of who I am, my identity, um, like to, trying to be more than I am right now, looking at guys my age and going like, well, they're just better than me in every angle. And, and like, am I ever going to be that good? And then accomplishment. Uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to have, I want to have more accomplishments in the next decade than I did in this decade. You know, I want to double it up. And, and so when I looked at possessions, person and purpose, uh, the destiny call of my life, I, I realized that like those are gifts from God to pursue an incredible career and an exciting career filled with adventure is a gift from the Lord, but it's not the origin of your happiness. It's not going to satisfy your soul. Um, to, to have uh, possessions, and I think this is a big one. We were talking about this just just off off the air. Um, that there's two, in the Western culture, at least in the U.S., there's these two really uh, massive voices when it comes to the gospel, and they've been labeled poverty gospel, and that is like the poorer you are, the more holy you are. You must be doing the Lord's work because it's hard, and and you're you know you're you're just digging in, but you know you're going to push through. And you know Paul was beaten in prison, so if you haven't been beaten in prison, you haven't you haven't lived the holy <laughs> life yet, you know. Um, yeah. And then there's the then there's the one that's becoming just more and more uh, dominant is this prosperity gospel that God is a good father therefore he wants that don't you know as a father don't you want your kid to have a like a Lamborghini and don't you want your kid to have a big house and don't you want and uh, I go I absolutely want my kid to have a, a, an awesome house but I also want them to I also want them to learn in life I don't just want to give them possessions and they, and they learn no lessons because then when the life when the storms of life come they're right. not going to be ready for them they'll have no strength of their own they have to withstand by themselves and so it's this fine tension between these two points of the poverty gospel and prosperity gospel, um, you know, what, what is right? I, I don't believe either of those spectrums are a correct view of the gospel. That's right. Uh, a, a gospel of grace. I believe that our God, our, 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 our heavenly father, he is a father. And it's not just, he doesn't just have a heart for delivering us good gifts, but he's trying to whisper through those gifts, a deeper meaning of life. So the gift of marriage is a pu pure and beautiful gift. But what helped me in my marriage wasn't going to like more courses and like how to, how to make my life better. Those are great tools to help our marriage thrive. And I'm, I'm not against those, but the realization of going, Oh God, uses marriage to whisper deeper truths about who he is. And so for Nicole and I, we to, to go back to that question, Nicole and I went in the early years of our life in marriage when, when, you know, money was tight, there's just constant storms of life happening. We could, there's so many just like things that hit us just unexpectedly. We're trying to weather the storm and it, it's crazy. The, the question that we began to answer after we go, okay, there's the gifts that God gives us creation, all good things. They fall into those three categories, uh, possession, person, uh, 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 purpose. We know that God wants those things for us, that he wants us to enjoy those gifts. But then we go, okay, are we, are we with God in this moment? Do we, do we, do we get the creator, not his things? And the, and the way that we, the way that we ask on a practical level, if you're in circumstances right now, so like Nicole and I, you know, one of our challenges, you know, year one, year two of marriage was definitely finances were just tight. She was a student. Um, I was, I was working at an entry level job. And so money was just very tight right now. And there, it was just like very difficult. And so when we hit these, like, you know, the car breaks down, it's going to be $1,800 because it's always the timing belt and the timing belt lets you take half the car apart. It's always the timing belt. Like it's never, it's never, it's like, you know, an $1,800 fix. And we don't have that money. Yeah. And, and it goes, okay, we, we can ask the question, okay, were, were we good stewards with our money or, or, you know what? And I, I just go, there's moments where Nicole and I, we, we wanted to be known as a generous couple. So we would, the Lord would say, Hey, I want you to to give this money away. And sometimes it'd be like a dipping into savings, you know, and you go like, is that responsible? Is that right? And, the, and I go, okay, regardless of it's responsible, did we hear God in this? Did God say, give this money to this person or to the church? Or, 
And if the answer is yes, we have to do it. And we would do that. And you go, well, we're doing the Lord's work. So surely he's going to protect us financially. We're going to, you know, because there's verses, you know, you know, better to give than to receive, but he's going to pour out such financial blessing. I believe, I believe he's going to pour out blessing, but I go then two months later, a storm of life comes an unexpected, you know, car thing breaks down. And we looked at each other and we just go like, were we just not good enough? Were we a bad, like, so again, possession, person, purpose, are we just not, are we just not in the will of God right now? Are we, are we not good? Am I not a good husband? Am I not a, you know, am I not a good wife? I go, but that was the wrong question. So question that we, that helped us weather the storms we go, did we hear God? And, and when we concluded, yes, God told us to, to give that money. And he knew by giving that money, we would stand right here. And it was from that place that we go, we're going to trust, we're going to have faith. And he's just, he's always delivered. I have no idea how he, I don't know how he got us through the storm, but like he walked us through the valleys of shadow and death, but we felt no evil, not because we had finances in our bank account, but because God was with us. And so I think yeah. the recipe for happiness begins with where does the origin of joy and happiness come from? And it comes from him. Um, so yeah, so that's for Nicole and I. That's so good. I, it makes me think of Psalm 16. It's one of my favorite Psalms, but it, Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path to life in your presence is abounding joy. Mm. I mean, that, that sums up exactly what you're saying. So that's, I mean, so it's like, you know, the, the recipe for happiness for me, the more I drew into the, into the Lord, I know that sounds very like an untangible, like, how do you do that practically? I, I think it, I think it comes from this space of no matter this. So, so the prosperity gospel. Oh, well, God wants to fix your circumstances. Like you're, he wants you to thrive in your circumstances. And, and I go, no, I think God wants you to have an unwavering view of his kindness and his nature and yeah. that God will deliver. And so I go, when the life storms happen, it's not a guarantee that the Lord's just going to deliver us right away. It's when the storm hits, I don't look up at God and go like, how could you do this to me? And that for me was like, that, that was what all of my friends were kind of sharing about their life. And I thought it was gonna be farther along. That was the thing that it wasn't a they weren't making a statement about themselves. I thought I was going to be farther along. What they were saying was, they wouldn't say it outright because it just sounds bad. What they were saying was, I thought God would, like, how could God do me like this? I thought God was going to like, I, th I felt like I heard promises from him. And I go, did you hear promises? Or did you hear a verse? Like I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> dream a dream. And so it comes into that question of like, are you defining your life and setting the boundaries? Or is God defining your life and setting the boundaries? And, and if you can answer the question, whether it's in a time of prison like Paul or whether you're in a palace like Solomon, and you know, this is the boundary that the Lord set me set for me for this season of life. And if you can say, this is exactly where he's called me to be, I go, you, I promise you, you will be satisfied. You will find contentment in that space. Yeah. And you're talking about boundaries. So that's, that's also in the Psalm 16, right? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yeah. So again, you take a verse like that and I, and I go, does that mean that like what God's saying is he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, the boundary lines for you, it's going to be a nice house. It's going to be the American dream house. Right. That's right. kind of where we go with it. Right. I go, I, well, I go perhaps, but I go, I always go back to that, that passage of scripture with Jesus after he's been crucified, he's now shown himself to, to the disciples. He's walking down the beach with, with Peter. He's reinstating Peter as one of his followers. He asked Peter, do you love me? He says, you know, I love you, Lord. And he goes, awesome, Peter. Well, this is a paraphrase. This is the Passion Translation. He's like, awesome, Peter, but I just need you to know. And he tells, he tells them about his life and about how his life will end. And, and he essentially, he's just he's like, hey, you're going to die because of your love for me. And, and John, who was following a ways off from the beach, kind of trying to like eavesdrop on their conversation, Peter immediately turns around and goes, well, what about this guy? And, <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and, and doesn't go, oh, you're right. It wouldn't be fair if I put you in, in prison and had you murdered and I, and I let John live an old, old age life and, and a happy life. It wouldn't be fair. So I'm going to just, I'm going to make everybody's life cookie cutter. You know, everybody's going to have like a, you know, and I go, God is not, 
God, it's, it, this isn't a, this isn't a thing. Well, that's not fair. God, I go like, did God give you a bound? What were the boundary lines that God set before you? So we go to the Psalm. I go, perhaps he is talking about specific gifts of his creation, but I go, what he is saying is the boundary lines will always be set around him. David is a, a prophetic worshiper. So when he's prophesying Psalms like this, he's prophesying about the coming of Jesus and who will be in our new identity because of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And so the, the verse is like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I go, the boundary lines are set for you in pleasant places. You're always going to be in the presence of the Lord. He'll never leave you regardless of your faithfulness in life. No matter how weak you feel like you are, or, you know, you, oh, I feel like I should just be a better version of me by now. God's never dictating his love or his closeness to you because of your, of how awesome you are. You know, he's, it's always because of how awesome he is. And I think that's when I read the Psalm like that, I go, Man, God, I know that you want good, beautiful gifts for me, but I also know that I'm going to have pleasant places, not because of those good gifts, but because you'll you'll be walking with me in those boundaries. Yes. I mean, I think that's it, Tyler. I mean, if you if you read Psalm 16, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You exactly. make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. My eyes will always be on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and rejoices. And it's, I mean, that's what, that's it. I mean, I think that's the recipe, right? That's what Paul's talking about is it's Christ and Christ alone. It's understanding. I think we have to have this eternal perspective as opposed to a temporal perspective, because everything that we tend to evaluate our happiness on is temporal. It will, it will. It yeah. will end at some point. When our life ends, our marriage will end at some point, right? There's everything yeah. is temporal to some degree on this earth. But the things that aren't, the things that are infinite is that union, John 15, that union, that abiding with Christ yeah. um, and in him. I mean, even um, there's so many scriptures, you know, you were reading Philippians 4 in the message. It said, I can make it through anything through the one who makes me who I am. It's yeah. all it always goes back to Jesus. It always goes back to who he is and our positioning in him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly that. And I think, you know, again, when I go back to that answer, that question, like, what is the, what is the recipe for happiness? It li- it lies in that space of b- abiding, abiding with, with the Lord. And I think that for me, when, when I asked the question, even like just to go with the theme of your podcast, which I absolutely love, I think it's so critical because because of our culture where we live, where it's the, the, the two prevailing voices of, of a poverty gospel or a prosperity gospel, we really have to define what do we mean when we say the abundant life? And I, I think for me, I go like, I obviously want nice gifts from the Lord. I go, every good gift, it says in James, every good gift comes from him. And he wants to give us good gifts, but a good gift's not just in possession. It's also in, in the virtues that he's instilling, the character that he's instilling in us. And yeah. so I go, you know, Tyler, what, what would you, I mean, we, you know, my wife and I have this incredible testimony of, we, we just closed on our, our home um, in a neighborhood that we were just thrilled to be a part of. And I, and I was just, I was sharing with my, my father-in-law um, about, um, I was like, man, I love the, the gift of the home, but I, can I just tell you what the Lord did in my heart and my soul in the process of this? When I, when I had so much doubt of, of not being able to, to make this happen, we started at the beginning of the year. Our big faith project was to, to trust the Lord for 2019, to be able to save up enough for a year to then turn around and have a, 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 an amount to, to have a down payment on our home. And he delivered a home uh, to us at the end of April of this year. So like our, right. our biggest, our biggest view of faith of trusting the Lord was to like, Hey, can you just provide the, the means necessary? And he, and he set it up in such a profound and beautiful way, but I was filled with doubt. And I was like, I don't think this is possible. And so I go like, God wants to give gifts because he's trying to show you something. And so I just told, I told my father-in-law, Greg, I, I go, the house is great, but I go, you know what? 10 years from now, this house is going to look older. 
I'm not going to be as like passionate about it. I'm not going to think it's as, as quaint as it is now. I think, you know, the paint's going to chip and I'm going to be like, oh, this house is, you know, I'm always going to want a little bit more from it because that's what possessions are. You always are, are wanting more. And so I go, if the testimony of God is, oh, he gave you a new house. I go, that, that testimony will fade away and go away. But I go, the, the virtue and the character that he's instilled in my heart that is where the abundant life resides. Yeah. Uh, it's, if you're saying, hey, Jesus can deliver the abundant life to you, what, what I believe he is saying, he's saying, no matter what you face in life, no matter what, I'm telling you, you can have peace in your soul. And I go, I, what, whatever it takes, whatever it costs to get that, that's what I want. And, and the answer is really simple. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. If you, want, if you want eternal life, pick up your cross and follow me. And I go, this is the point is that eternal life doesn't happen after you die and you go into eternity. Eternal life is now. Um, so yeah, that's so good. It, it makes me think of when Ryan and I walked through, um, our miscarriage, our first baby, we miscarried mm. and, you know, w- the Lord, he gave us a promise and he gave us another child. He gave us Declan, you know, we got pregnant two months later and that was amazing. And I'll, obviously like, that is like, he's my great joy, but the greater blessing is that you will never, ever, ever get to convince me that God isn't good because in my darkest moment of loss, he gave me a scripture about who he was. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He talked to me about his nature and I got so convinced that that was true about him, that the breakthrough just reinforced it. And so the Lord, it's like, he's always after who we're becoming, who we're seeing him as, um, because that's where the victory is. That's where the power and the authority and all of that comes from. The abundance is birthed from, from belief of right seeing God for who he is and us for who we are in him. And so, you know, we're after the temporal, we're after the, the breakthrough, the, how the story is going to end in this circumstance or that one, when God's after the, the, you know, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and my riches, like he's after those things, those things that will never, never be taken from us, which is like my belief that God is good. Your belief that God is provider no matter where you find yourself, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's so helpful, Tyler, just to, that you're walking us through a shift in perspective because we think, okay, each breakthrough will then, you know, will then create more happiness, but it's actually who we become in the process of belief to the breakthrough that actually is the source of our joy, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's such a, it's such a, it's a, it's a harsh um, statement to hear for the first time when you talk about mental shifts, um, but it has to be said, especially again in our culture where there's this poverty mentality and this prosperity and you have to kind of ride the rails in between. And that is, it's this statement is that God owes you nothing. And um, that's such a hard thing because you go like, but like, you know, you know, I didn't ask to be created and I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't set up these rules or I, you know, like, I, you know, I didn't, I, you know, he put me in the family that I am and I had a rough upbringing and like, this isn't fair. And so we, because we go, I'm a, I'm a victim. We go like, God owes me something. And, and the reason I bring that statement up is I go, when I, when I, when I heard that for the first time from a, a preacher and he said it kind of, you know, harsh, I, just, I thought about it and I go, in reality, we owe God everything. Um, everything that we have was given by him. I mean, Job says that he goes, he gives and takes away. I mean, there's this, and, and I go, he doesn't, he doesn't owe you anything, but the moment that you can go, he doesn't owe me anything, but he chooses in grace to give me everything. Yeah. Uh, what it means by that is, is not a, 
he, like it's, it's, it's a statement of his heartbeat. He goes, he goes, I, I, I've given you a grace, not that you have earned, but that I've earned on your behalf. And I, and I go, the moment that I wake up in the morning and I can, I can cling to his grace. Like, that's where for me, like that soul satisfaction begins. Like, I mean, I, I've been given the grace of God. I screwed up yesterday. I wasn't the perfect husband. I wasn't the perfect dad, but, but, but his mercies are new for me every morning. And he, and he gives me the opportunity to, even in my, even because of my past, he's still giving me the opportunity to find peace in life, which means not only can things not be taken away from you temporarily, but even if you've done some of the harshest things that you can possibly find or imagine, you've not gone too far. Mm. Um, and that, that for me is like your past will not define you. Uh, your, your future achievements do not define you. That, that a better version of you existing is not the thing that determines God's grace being poured out for you. And I, I think it's, it's when, you, when you can embrace God for who he is and the grace that he's pouring out for you, that's, that's where that peace comes from, you know? And so, yeah. So good. Thank you, Tyler. That is, it's so good. And I feel like I just need to probably hear this every week. And that's why we're doing the podcast, right? We need to hear truth and we need to hear absolutely because it's hard. Everything around us says like, you know, what we're not, what we're lacking. We're very aware of our lack. But what I am praying is that, you know, together through these kind of conversations, we can be more aware of our fullness and our fullness is in one person, Christ alone. Yeah. And though he owes us nothing, like you said, in love and grace, he's given us access to everything. I mean, John 15. Him. Yeah. Ask for anything in his name. I mean, there there is a there is this hope and expectation to abound in this life, this side of heaven, that we can have this contentment, this satisfaction, regardless of the ups and downs of life. And I, I see that in your family. And I just want to honor that because I've watched you guys um, work out this revelation and, and really live it. Um, and I mean, cool. your wife has gone through incredible sickness with pregnancy, you know, the things that you shared, I mean, just a variety of things that you guys have found joy and contentment in the midst of that it seems unattainable, but it's not because you know the one with whom you can get through it all, like Paul said. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't want to make this necessarily a compliment party, but I go, you know, doing life with you guys has just truly helped us on this journey. Cause I, I you know, I don't know if, if, if Ryan's been on the show yet, he needs to be on the show, but <laughs> uh, are we, wait, it's a, it's a podcast. It's on a show. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very old when it comes to technology, but very young. So, uh, but Ryan is probably one of the most faith-filled men that I've ever met in my life. So mm-hmm. in this season where we, we, we both actually, little, little Hanel Schmidt history, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we met the Schmidts after they were six months married. They, they introduced us. We were getting married like two months later. And we invited them to our wedding because we just liked them so much. And uh, so, so we did like first year of marriage like together. And so I just remember looking at Ryan multiple times and being like, what are we going to do? We are in like some serious trouble with emergencies of life. And like, and he just goes, man, I just, he just would always encourage me. But like, he's like, I just have faith that the Lord is going to come through. And like, I just, I think I like grabbed a hold of his coattails and just like, he drugged me through with his faith gift, you know? So, um, so I'm just grateful for you guys for the example you've been. Mm, it's good to do life in community. This is, this is what it's about. I mean, it, it is about doing life in union with Christ and in union with one another. We're a body and we make each other stronger and we, our faith gets solidified when we share life. And so, um, I just encourage you, if you're listening, you know, do life with friends. Um, if you don't have any, go be the friend that you want, um, and, and, and build a tribe around you that you can share life with and, and trust God together with them and pray together. We've had a lot of nights where the Schmitz, the Hanels have come before the Lord and said, this is where we're at. We're trusting you, God. We're declaring what we know is true about you. And we believe that the truth about you will actually cause a shift in these temporal circumstances that we're experiencing. And faithfully, God has every single time. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so much more powerful when you could do, to do it with friends. And so it's just, it's been a joy and it's been a joy to have you um, with us this morning, Tyler. Thanks for taking the time and just sharing what you have been learning. Um, Thanks so much, Jenny. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Y'all have a great day. Actually, Tyler, would you just close us out in prayer? Would you just pray um, over us and just that we would um, experience that soul satisfaction that is ours through Christ? That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, Lord, I just I just thank you for today, and I thank you for everybody that's uh, listening right now. Lord, we just, we just agree and trust um, that you are a good Father who pours out incredible gifts for us. But one of the greatest gifts that you've given us is your son, Jesus. Because of his sacrifice, we now have perfect union with you, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You are the recipe for happiness. And so I just, I just pray for every, every person who's listening, that they would begin to just feel your presence as you draw near to them, that you're the one who draws near to the brokenhearted. You're the one who restores and, and rejuvenates and revives. And so, uh, Lord, if there's somebody who's listening and they're going through one of the storms of life, I pray that you would deliver them from the storm in your timing and in your goodness in a supernatural and profound way. But Lord, I also pray that you would be with them in that time continually throughout the storm, that you would be whispering to them encouragement and boldness and faith, that you are teaching us how to be true, mature sons and daughters of heaven. So Lord, I thank you again, once again for today. I thank you for Jenny and this podcast and we bless your name in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks y'all. Have a great day. Thanks for listening today. I'd love to close with this prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.